You're listening to the Safety of Work podcast, episode 95. Do take five risk assessments contribute to safe work? Let's get started. Hey everybody, my name's David Proven, and today I'm here with Drew Ray and Dr. Yop Havinger, and we're all from the Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University in Australia. Welcome to the Safety of Work podcast. In each episode, we ask an important question in relation to the safety of work or the work of safety, and we examine the evidence surrounding it. And every few episodes, we do indulge ourselves by talking about some of our own work. And today we're discussing a paper that's just been published, and I've got two of the three authors of that paper with uh, with me here today. So Drew, of course, you all know, and, and Yop will introduce himself shortly. And we've just worked out in episode 95 that this is the first three-person podcast that we've done. So we're, um, we've got a plan and we'll see how we go. So I'm going to start by reading a few sentences directly out of the abstract from this paper. We found no evidence to support any of the purported mechanisms by which Take 5 might be effective in reducing the risk of workplace accidents. Take 5 does not improve the planning of work, enhance worker heedfulness while conducting work, educate workers about hazards, or assist with organisational awareness and the management of hazards. So in the last week or so, the internet's blown up a little bit, and uh, I've been talking about it all week with safety professionals from all over the world. So it's good to good to record this and I guess get the author's perspective out there. So before we go, let's introduce the paper and then I'll hand over to the two who wrote it. So the title of this paper is, Should We Cut the Cards? Assessing the Influence of Take 5 Pre-Task Risk Assessments on Safety. It was published in the journal Safety MDPI. So it's a, a more recent, smaller, and slightly less prestigious than some of the other safety journals that we have in the podcast. It's very useful for making papers accessible to industry. And in terms of quality of research, I mean, all of these journals draw on the same pool of peer reviewers. So it's a great avenue to get, I guess, these papers into the hands of practitioners. So we'll be able to put a, a link to the paper uh, in the comments on LinkedIn, or you know, if you follow Drew, you'll have already you'll have already had a read. So, like I said, the authors were first author uh, Yop Havinger, uh, second author Muhammad Ibrahim Shire, and the third author is our own associate professor uh, Andrew Ray. So Muhammad was a field researcher in the lab, and as part of his postdoctoral work. He, he did a lot of the data, the early data collection uh, before he took up a permanent position back in the UK. And I've got Yop here now with us. So Yop, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, thank you, David. Well, uh, some of the listeners might remember me from the uh, Stop Work episode where I had a brief visit. And I think I'm the first two-time guest on the show as well. But uh, yeah, I, I'm a researcher with the Safety Science Innovation Lab, um, worked a lot with uh, Drew and Sydney Decker. I have a background in human factors and psychology, came over to Australia in 2014, uh, did my PhD at Griffith University, where I looked at uh, teamwork processes and, and routines guiding how teams uh, organize work. Then I've uh, worked a bit in consultancy and moved back to research mostly around the, well, uh, the idea of safety clutter or how safety management system processes influence uh, actual work for better or worse. Uh, thanks, Job. I hadn't realized that we hadn't had anyone back more than twice. There you go. 
Welcome. Drew, how, how are you feeling about this paper now that you've had sort of a week of fielding comments from the safety world? Uh, it, it's always fun when you put a new paper out. I think in this particular case, we knew we were going to get pushback because we knew that we were criticising a practice that is very widespread. Uh, we've called it Take 5 in the paper. We also included a table which has got something like 40 other names that this technique is known by around the world. And you never know exactly where people are going to push back. So you try to build into the paper defences or at least comments about the most likely avenues that people are going to respond to it. And then you always get taken by surprise when people find other ways to criticise it. I think my favourite criticism is people who immediately hit back by trying to attack the integrity of the research. Um, not just the methods, but also the you know, motivations and personal integrity of the researchers. That, that, that's always difficult to sort of know how, how much to respond to that or whether to just sort of let it by. But what I take great pleasure in is when people want to attack the limits of the research uh, because that tells me that at least safety is now starting to get to that point where we care about evidence. You know, if people want to reject the papers because we didn't do a big enough study or a study on enough sites, well, that is the best criticism because that says people want more work like this. And yeah, that's, that's the just initial message I throw back to anyone who wants to criticise the size or scale or limits of the research is you want to disagree with us, then the ball's in your court to take this further. And um, we're happy to work with anyone who wants to try to replicate the methods or extend the research. Yeah, nice to And I guess it it wouldn't be the internet if people were just playing the ball and not the person. So, and so you you came. I guess you you sort of got hand. You're the first author of the paper, and you got handed the data in somewhat and and sort of move forward. Sort of, what are some of your reflections on kind of the process of pulling this this paper together? Yeah. So the the let's say analysis method that we use is. Um, very much a product of my experience in the field doing similar kind of work. And it's, I think, the second paper that's published that where we use it. Before that, beyond that, it's mostly in uh, industry uh, or organizational reports where we've used it. And, yeah, I I really like unpacking things this way because you, you really well, look at different ways that take fives can work and, and give it a chance to, to see how it works out in practice and it gives you extra depth looking at the data because you yeah basically try to give it uh, another chance every time you you look at one of the mechanisms through which it uh, it can work and it forces yours yeah yourself to be very critical and often while re-going through the data you recognize that you you missed something the first time so yeah i i can just say that's probably where i get just excited doing the work I don't know if uh, Drew recognizes it the same while, while writing up the research, in this case, uh, using this method. Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed, I don't know, I, co-writing might be a bit too strong a term, but certainly reviewing each part of it as Yop produced it. And it was like, oh, here's a thing that I hadn't thought of before. And then Yop's got an answer to the thing that I hadn't thought of before. And here's another way it might work that I didn't consider, but no, here's a answer to that. And it was... It's a really useful way to test your own thinking. And there were a couple of places where we thought, oh, here's a way that it might work. And yeah, actually, we haven't sufficiently tested this with the data. So we have to leave it open as a possibility. And um, we'll talk about a couple of those spots later in the paper, later in the discussion. Great. Drew, so 
you spend a fair bit of time in the in the paper looking at the origin of of take fives, and I, I really like this because it's it's sort of interesting to if we're trying to think about why this practice might be in organisations and why it might be widespread, what what we think organisations are trying to achieve. I mean, the history is going to give us some insights into the thinking at the time that that these practices emerge. So do you want to just talk a little bit about the history in a sense of kind of some of the things that surprised you, some of the the early introduction of, of this process and, um, and and kind of what, yeah, I, I think what would be useful for the listeners to understand about the background of, of this practice? Okay, I, I think in order to tell the history, I need to work backwards a little bit and tell sort of some of my own story in trying to understand the history. Take fives are probably the practice that first got me interested at all in workplace health and safety techniques as opposed to system safety techniques. Because the very first time I ran into Take 5, it was in the context of someone complaining about it. It was everything else I've learned, you know, I've been trained how to use it. And then I've started to question the limitations. This was you know, a thing I've never heard of before. And already people are saying, this is nonsense. Why are we doing it? And that immediately got me interested because I fired the question back. OK, so if it's nonsense, why are you doing it? And it was fascinating that you know, we'd have people who were head of safety in an organization complaining about a practice that they couldn't get rid of and they couldn't explain what exactly why they couldn't get rid of it or even why it was there in the first place or what it was intended to achieve. And so in coming out with the history, I sort of had to try to untangle all of those bits. You, Why did people do it? What is there some organizational need that's being met? Is there some previous task that it evolved out of? And Immediately when you start to question that, you know, if, even if you just like type into Google who invented Take Fives or ask on LinkedIn who invented Take Fives, you find 50 different people who all think that they independently invented it. And so I must have talked to, you at least had conversations or exchanged comments with, you know, 20 different people, all of whom are certain they know when and where it was first introduced. And they are all absolutely wrong. <laughs> Because you can always find some time before they say when someone else was doing Take 5. So I I tell the full story in the paper that the best I can work out is that there was this thing dating back to Canadian mining, at least back in the 1930s, called the Neil George Five Point Safety System. And we've got newspaper articles back then that reference what was going on in the mines at the time. And it's pretty obvious that the original five-point safety system had nothing to do with what a current Take 5 looks like. But you fast forward to about the 1960s, and we have Australians going over to Canada to try to learn about this system. And so when they go to learn in the 1960s and they bring it back, it looks much more like what we currently think of as a Take 5. But it's still not really intended to be this last-minute risk assessment done by the worker. It's still a very top-down, supervisor-driven way that, you know, a supervisor comes and visits you. They talk about certain things. They talk about these five things on the card. They fill out the card. They leave you with the card as proof that they've had this visit, which is not how people use Take Fives today. At the same time, you've got all these other uses of little cards in safety. So you've got people using these training cards that they give out to workers, almost like, you know, we give out sometimes advertising bookmarks. 
remind workers of particular hazard. You know, here, read this, take it home, think about it. Uh, we've got laminated cards that get put up at the entrances to places. You know, here are the instructions for this place. We've got the general idea that you taking five minutes for safety is a good idea. It's not always five minutes, of course. Sometimes it's take ten, take two, take five. Five minutes can save a life, ten minutes can save a life, just take a moment. And all of these ideas sort of coalesce into the introduction of behaviour-based safety in the 1980s, when we have this idea that we don't just like try to change behaviour, but we try to keep records of behaviour. We start doing behavioural observations, we start getting workers to observe each other, we create these written traces of work. And so as far as we understand it, probably what looks like a take five genuinely did just get invented many, many times in many, many places as people sort of combined this idea of we want people to stop and think before they start work with this idea of behavior-based safety where we want a record that they've actually done it. We want them to create some sort of auditable trace that they stopped and thought. And sometimes they adapted existing systems like the Neil George five-point system. Sometimes they invented brand new systems. And that's why we have it appearing under so many different names. So... Yeah, is that enough? Does that sort of give some idea of where it came from? And I, I'd encourage, I mean, I always encourage our listeners to go to the source of these papers. And and there's some particularly interesting things in the paper that I liked. I think you particularly referenced a sort of a stop, think and act, Drew, which came out of, uh, of I guess, um, social psychology or, or, or cognitive psychology around dealing with troubled school kids and, and teenagers. And, and you made this uh, little connection in the paper to, you know, maybe some of our workplace practices are, are designed to treat workers like naughty school children. Oh, I'm glad you found that line, David. <laughs> we, 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 this is the trouble with co-authoring with someone like Yop, who eggs me on instead of my other co-authors who try to rein me in. So, yeah, th this link between behavioural psychology and safety science is sometimes very weak. It's sometimes just a general idea of applying incentives. And sometimes people actually go into the behavioural psychology literature and they get behavioural psychology consultants and they grab training programs and influence programs that are designed for other things. And there are certainly some strongly suggestive traces that once or twice people in developing these take five type systems have looked at stop, think and act type programs that are used for uh, disruptive kids in classrooms. Which lets us make the claim that, you know, take five is the same as treating workers as naughty school kids. And no, it's not. The, the link is more tenuous than that. But we originally snuck that line in as a footnote to the paper. And then the editors actually said, sorry, you're not allowed footnotes. So we had to move it into the main text. Very good. So, Drew, I might just, I, I think it'd be good to get Yop to talk a little bit about the method that he introduced earlier. But before we do that, I think maybe there's just um, some some framing uh, comments that you might like to make around this study? Like you mentioned limitations earlier, but what were you actually trying to test and sort of at a very high level kind of what's the scope of what you did as we sort of dive deeper into the methodology? Okay, so, so at a really high level, this is not an exploratory study. So in an exploratory study, you might start at one site and you try to understand what's going on there. And then you try, try to work outwards from there. You say, okay, what we saw on this one site doesn't apply on other sites. In this, we're doing almost the exact opposite. We're saying all of these stories about Take 5 already exist. We've got lots of people using them, lots of people claiming different benefits, lots of people complaining about them. So what we want to do is condense all of those stories into the 
almost the purest form where we can test them. You know, let's create the optimal opportunity for this to work well. We'll make sure that it's not too onerous. We'll make sure that the workers fully understand why they're doing it. We make sure that people have got a say in how they're using it and why they're doing it. They know that they're only doing it for a limited time. We're sort of creating the best case conditions under which, if it works at all, it should start working here. Um, and that's the experiment that we're doing. Um, I'll, I'll get Yop actually talk us through sort of what we did on site and then how we analyzed the results from it. Yeah, so, well, on site, as, as Drew described, we basically did a ma manipulation to create different conditions in which you would expect it to be more or less likely to see the effect of take fives. And yeah, the, the main manipulation that we did was, well, either leave it optional, uh, make it mandatory and prohibit them for a period. And yeah, and then again, an optional period just to see uh, what happens after the prohibition of the takes fives. And yeah, follow uh, what people do in the meantime, uh, see if we see any indications in their change of behaviors, which then can inform us whether uh, any of the potential mechanisms of how take fives contribute to safety play out in, in practice. So yeah, in, in, in terms of the larger method, uh, to analyze this, we uh, we identified potential mechanisms of how safety contribute, uh, take fives contribute to safety. So yeah, one idea is that by filling out a take five card, people engage in better planning and make better plans to put in controls in place uh, for uh, the hazards that are there. Another view is that they increase the general heedfulness. So just being aware or uh, alert or directed towards the uh, presence of hazards. The, another idea was that they help in the education of teaching people what, what is a hazard, what isn't a hazard, and um, in, the, in, in that term, have a long-term change in terms of how safe they work. Then, uh, well, to the final two, which was the idea of distributed ha hazard identification, you know, by everybody filling in a take five, the site as a whole can learn about the presence of uh, hazards on site or which controls are most used. And the final idea, the idea of uh, due diligence, you know, do cards uh, help show that you care about safety? So we're going to talk about these six things in a moment. Sorry, did you want to add anything else to, to the methods? Yeah, no, okay. So yeah, basically using these, these different uh, mechanisms as a well, lens to look at what people actually do and see if you see any evidence for or against. Some of this was uh, kind of, uh, you know, in the moment, just looking at what you see and can you categorize it or explain it one way or the other. Some of it was uh, more structured, especially regarding heedfulness. We had a marker system that says, okay, do people look, look at their colleagues? Do people look around for vehicle hazards? Do people look around for their own body fitness? and took note of that and yeah, quantified that and then so that we could compare that across the different conditions. D David, let me just say a little bit about why we do the analysis in this way. Um, and and this, this, I think, is something that often gets misunderstood when people are looking at safety research and talking about the rigor of it and the um, quality of it. It's impossible for almost every type of safety intervention to actually measure that intervention based on the end outcomes. So, you know, when someone says we introduced take fives and we reduced our number of accidents by 50%, that is nonsense. 
you know, th there is no safety intervention in the world where you could have that level of change and be able to reliably see that level of change associated just with the one particular intervention. You, for most safety research, you can spend six months on site and you will see one or two minor incidents. You, the chance of actually in the middle of a study seeing a major accident is very, very low. And so if you want to evaluate an intervention, you can't really evaluate it just based on number of accidents going up or number of accidents going down. You've got to have some other way of doing it. And so what we're doing is instead of looking at that end point, whether more people get hurt or fewer people get hurt, we're looking at the middle step. What is the change in sight conditions or behavior that changed the likelihood of someone getting hurt? You, so for this to work, it's got to work somehow. And what we're looking for is whether those somehows exist. And, and as some people have sort of pointed out in response, yeah, there is always the possibility of another mechanism that we haven't thought of. Some invisible sixth or seventh way that it works that we didn't see, but that's still somehow operating in the background to keep people safer. So we ha haven't excluded that possibility. We haven't excluded the possibility that there is an invisible force that take fives exert that keeps people safer. But what we're saying is that if it's working, it's not working by any of these five things that are the five ways that people say it's supposed to work. And yeah, to, to add to that, if it would work to a, through a sixth or seventh way, it also probably means that we're not designing take fives in a good way because they're designed according to these other rationales that we openly recognize, not this forgotten one, unknown one. So for so so I'm looking forward to getting into the discussion of these different ways that it could work and why you both uh, think it doesn't. And just sort of to, to capture that, so so we've got a site and we there's an initial observation of the existing practice around take fives. Then for two weeks, they're mandated every person, every task. You get over 100 of these cards every day. You've got observer on site. You're just watching and recording consistently exactly what people are doing. And then after that two weeks, you give people four weeks break almost. You, they go back into their normal routines, whatever it was pre, pre the study. And then you come along and for two weeks, they're banned. So no cards, no books, no one's allowed to do them for any job. Zero take fives for two weeks. And you've got the same observer there watching what they do. And then after that, you let people go back into their normal routines. And I guess if I put words into both of your mouth, what you're saying is with the carefully designed ethnographic research, you see no difference in the markers of the, the safety of the work that people are performing when there's, a, when there's over 100 take fives happening in a day or zero take fives happening in a day. Yes. Yes. We, we, we could not recognize any meaningful difference both in predetermined markers as well as on-the-spot observation, open-ended. Okay, I'll make sure everyone's got Yop's email address as well as as well as Drew's. <laughs> the, the one tiny exception I'll throw in is that the time when the take fives are banned, the number is not exactly zero, which is another thing that we sort of found fascinating and had to explain in the paper. Even if you ban take fives, there are still some people who will insist on filling them out. And that's something that's got to be explained, got to be, you, you, you can't just ignore anomalies like that in your research. Yeah. And I think we'll get that to that at the end. So let's talk about, and, and fascinated to spend the rest of the podcast talking through some of these areas. So one of the ways that 
I guess our listeners might think that take fives could work is to plan the safety of work. So the, the take fives being done just before the job, kind of know what my job is, but I get to plan safety into that job by going through my take five. So I don't know, I don't know where, whether Drew, you want to start or maybe maybe we'll ask maybe I'll ask Yop the first to, to comment first on each of these and, and Drew, you can add add something else if you're happy with that. So Yop, what's your conclusion out of the research around the role of take fives in planning the safety of work? Yeah. So well, first of all, Many take fives are completed in a crib room and they're completed before they've seen the job or before they have been even assigned uh, the specifics of the job. So for those jobs, it's very easy to rule out that they have a positive effect. But even for the cases where you see that the cards are completed after they've been assigned the job, there is very little reflection on the actual job at hand. People somewhat fill in what's easy to to write down what they think will look good and you constantly see people take extra actions uh, compared to what they write down like they might position their tools in a smart way that somebody doesn't walk into them or they might you know make sure that they have uh, good communications lines with with somebody else working a little bit a couple of meters away uh, which they don't write down but is an important way they they keep themselves safe and other way around you see that people writing down controls that, you know, they don't actually put in place. You know, they might say they have a fire uh, spotter, but there's no one, no one near, nearby. So it's, it's really hard to argue that these take five leads to actual better planning uh, of the work they're conducting. And yeah, to top that up, the cases where we did see uh, safety getting uh, incorporated in planning, it was usually at an earlier stage that people could bring out X or would take out extra tools to site or pick up controls from the, from the depot, extra control. And these were reflections that happened usually while talking to the supervisor. And that's a step before we expect take fives to be completed. This is one of those objections that people have in defense of take fives that I think is sort of like most interesting and most worth thinking about is you hear people say, and I'm quoting almost directly here from a LinkedIn comment. I'm sorry that I can't get the exact attribution. You, I've seen five times over my career when someone has saved their life as a result of the take five. That, you know, before they were going to do a task, they stopped and they thought about what they needed to do. And as a result, they did the task differently. And we saw throughout this study lots of times that that happened. This is genuinely a thing that does save people's lives is before they're going to do something, they stop and think what they're about to do and they decide, no, that's not the best way to do it. You Maybe I need to go and get a different tool. Maybe I actually shouldn't do this today. Maybe I should stop the work. Uh, maybe I should get a second person. Maybe I should make sure there's a fire extinguisher standing by. Workers do this with their work all the time. But what we didn't see was them doing it directly tied to this take five task. Um, so none of any of our conclusions should be taken to say, you know, don't take five minutes before you take a task and stop and think about what you're doing. This is not about the that individual action. This is about whether the company policy of making people fill out the take five cards actually supports that sort of behavior or not. And what we saw is just a total disconnect. The behavior happens without the take fives. The take fives happen without the behavior. The two never actually happened at the same time. I think, Drew, I'm trying not to, I guess, insert my personal experience of take fives into into this research. It is something that I would 
think is similar to how I think about this. I think if some, that of course, there's a comment here that you're right, that people would get to site, realize they need a different tool to do a job safely, and then go back and get that tool. But that wasn't as a result of the take five, that was a result of them going and getting to the job and realizing something based on their experience or what they were looking at. It wasn't like they pulled out this 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 checklist and it gave them that that particular answer. So it's good to have, I, I, whether it's good or not, I don't know. I guess there's a lot of people who will be questioning their safety processes, which is good. But I think it's it's something that um, we've got to wonder in safety what the card is doing then. We'll come back to this in the conclusions, but I'll, I'll just throw in briefly now. If you are worried about this sort of research, but still feel very attached to take fives and wanted like not ignore the evidence, but also don't want to get rid of take fives altogether. One of the reasons why we think this occurs is that take fives, in most formats, they're very generic. The questions they ask are designed to apply to any job, and often they leave like open spaces for workers to write down hazards and controls, um, which means that they're only going to tell you stuff that you're already thinking about. And if you're not already thinking about it, you're probably not going to extra think about it when you pull out a card and have to fill out the card. That's just a job you have to do. There is room there, and we haven't tested, whether much more specific reminders are helpful. You know, some of the very early things that happened before Take Fives were very job-specific reminder cards. So you're about to go into a fi- confined space. Remember these five things. Have you told someone else? Yeah. Have you checked that the air is clear? Have you got a way back out again? Things like that. Um, you're about to do hot works. Is there a fire extinguisher nearby? Um, have you checked that there's no painting happening nearby? Those sort of specific reminders may be more effective. And we can't say that because that's not what we tested. But it's possible that the reason why they don't work for this is just because they're often so generic. So the second way that it could work or, or that it may be designed to work is by this, this idea that we take a quick, we take five before a job and it tunes us into the work we're about to do. So it we pay more attention to ourselves, more attention to our work environment, more attention to others around us and so on. So it really just basically creates a, a mindset for safety for for the task. So so do you want to sort of share kind of the, the outcomes around whether around the relationship between take five and heedfulness and even talk about what heedfulness heedfulness is? Yeah. Well yeah, heedfulness closely aligns with things like mindfulness or awareness and in this case specifically to dangers or anything that could affect safety. And yeah, we we had these marker lists uh, in terms of, you know, per attention or for personal comfort or health and safety, um, in terms of attention for teammates, uh, rules and requirements around work, around the work environment uh, and hazards in that environment, around tool use and around timing and pace of the work. And yeah, comparing all the different groups on site uh, in terms of how often we saw behaviors that fitted into one of these categories, we saw no differences across the conditions, you know, whether they had take fives or didn't have take fives in that period. So there was no indication that take fives led to a more general orientation or mindfulness towards hazards or things that could compromise uh, safety. One of the things that surprised me from this research is that people talk sometimes just about how sloppy or unsafe the construction industry is compared to other industries. But along all of these categories, when you actually look closely at what people are paying attention to and how mindful they are of their own safety and the safety of others, you just see how many little signs there are 
that people are paying attention to safety. We've got categories of things that people do that were happening consistently all day, every day. People doing little things that show that they're looking out for each other, that they're looking out for their tools, that they're looking out for themselves. Happening here over and over again. So it's not like this was, oh, we saw people being unsafe and the Take Fives didn't stop them being unsafe or make them safe. It was people are doing all of these activities lots of the time. And the rate just doesn't go up or down with the use of the Take Fives. It's related to the work that they're doing and the fact that they genuinely care about each other and they care about themselves and they care about what's going on around them. Um, you, you don't see many people on a construction site just like tuned out, ignoring whether things are safe or not. Well, I often sort of have, have a conversation with safety professionals about a lot of the safety activities that we do in the workplace uh, seemingly for safe work. And and even the most staunch supporters of all of these safety practices, when, when asked how often do you do take fives on the weekend for every task you do around the house before you wash the dishes, before you mow the lawn, before you change the light bulb. And very few of staunch supporters of safety practices do any of those safety practices them, themselves. And there's a comment in this paper that there is still some people in the workplace, well, lots of, I guess, I don't know if it's lots or a few people in the study who said, yes, take fives are useful. They're just not useful for me, I guess. So so how would you sort of respond maybe to to that comment, I don't know if it quite fits here now, but I just thought of it as as you and Yop were talking. Yeah, that, that, that's that's definitely one for Yop to talk about. The I wanted to call it the take five effect, but Yop had already named it the not for me effect. So go for it, Yop. Yeah, well, it's probably not everyone. I can think at least of one exception uh, on on this side, as in I was later involved uh, collecting data on the same site. But yeah, you ask people like, oh, is, is the take five useful or did you get anything out of this? And you always hear like, ah, look, for me, it's not really needed, but you know, the new guys over there, it might be, it, it's probably good that they do it. Or uh, they tell you, uh, ah, you know, for this task, it's really ridiculous that they make me do it. Uh, if I was, would be working at heights or doing something risky with the big crane over there, then sure, I'll do it, you know? And if you then ask somebody working at heights uh, or working with that crane, uh, if they like to take five, they tell you, no, it, it doesn't add anything to what I'm doing. So it's you're forever chasing this this situation or this person for who it might be useful to. And then, yeah, about novices, uh, which is actually one we'll, uh, we'll get into as well. You know, you ask them, did you learn through, through the take five? Was it helpful for yourself learning? learning about hazards on site through the take five. And they said, no, I was taught using true mentors and these mentors were great. And they told me what to watch out for. And that's way better than a take five. So they, yeah, they, they even themselves don't seem fully convinced of, yeah, it actually being good for somebody else, but it's clearly not good for them, but they don't want to fully reject it for other people. David, I might throw in here another one of the comments we've had in response to the paper, which is people have said, Oh, but you're not actually measuring anything. All you're doing is talking to people and watching people. How do you actually know if people are paying attention or not? So, so people have got this idea that there is almost like a sort of like invisible internal to yourself sense of being alert or paying attention that someone outside you can't see. And certainly that we as observers wouldn't have been able to see in this study. I might actually throw that one directly back to Yop because you're more of an expert in sort of whether that's that makes sense or not, this idea of 
alertness that is invisible just inside someone's head. Oh, this this, uh, gets to the Cartesian dualism uh, mind-body problem. But I I think one of the things is that um, we also need to recognize we don't have perfect self-knowledge. And in that sense, I can catch myself daydreaming, uh, just as I can catch somebody being engaged with a task or not. So I don't think the two are as fundamentally different in the first place. But yeah, if you see somebody following an object, looking at an object and responding to the movements of an object, it is very hard to argue that they're not paying attention to that object. So, of course, there is always a chance of getting something wrong in an observation, but so is that chance when you're examining yourself. Do you you think it's possible that for some jobs, it's possible to just like be doing it automatically by rote, not thinking about it, and someone from the outside couldn't tell the difference? And that a tool like a Take 5 could make that difference, could make one person do the task sort of mindfully and the other person do the task in the same way, but less mindfully? I am not completely sure if um, if the latest science supports me on this, uh, but my inclination is that if somebody can do it without, let's say, consciously thinking in terms of explicit words, it is a sign that they have a well established routine mental models how to deal with that task Um, and if they would get assist and these people would also be the most sensitive to changes in the environment that this mental model or these expectations are not working anymore at this time so in that sense while they might have routines and and certain things they don't pay attention to they are the first ones to recognize that they're outside of this routine and that they will need to pay extra attention to whatever is going on to them. In terms of research, I know at least that in uh, uh, expert uh, reasoning in terms of doctors and analyzing uh, difficult cases with patients, that the expert doctors might be the worst at explaining what they're thinking about, but they're the first at recognizing that uh, there is something unusual about this patient and that they... Uh, whether they're going down to a, a garden path situation of it seems this, but it is actually that. Uh, so in that sense, yeah, the expertise and the mindfulness uh, or the, the lack of apparent mindfulness might actually be a sign that this person is really suited for the task. Okay, let, let me ask the same question another way. Would there be value in redoing the experiment and slapping EKGs on all the workers and seeing if there was any sort of like difference in brain patterns as a result of getting them to do the safety activity? I'm personally very skeptical of, of a lot of neuro, neuro stuff um, in that it's so hard to interpret what it actually means. I, eye tracking is different as, as in it, it's easier to interpret. At least you know whether they've, they've rested their eyes on something. But even there, you could say that, uh, or what we know from experts is that they need less information to conclude more or to learn more uh, about a situation. So I'm very... So even something like eye movement might not be able to tell. We could tell a difference. We just couldn't tell if it was good or bad. Yeah. And in in that sense, yeah, one thing, if you're uh, observing, one of the first things you, or one of the the most strongest sense of uh, evidence is whether somebody responds to something or whether there's indication whether they've taken that into account in their plan. And... Yeah, ideally you see it in behavior and sometimes you would uh, ask about that well afterwards or 
beforehand or whenever it's an appropriate moment. So I, I would personally be inclined that I don't see a lot of situations where uh, brain monitoring or eye tracking would be valuable, but yeah, of course that you can't rule it out. Okay. So um, I'm going to throw an experimental design at both of you um, just to, and then we'll, we'll move on. But uh, since we've taken this big sidetrack, uh, let's, let's do that. So I, I was thinking about skill-based workers and, and rule-based workers, you know, this expertise and novice kind of thing that we've known about, you know, since Russ Misson sort of talked about. So what if I had four golfers, two professional golfers and two novice golfers and two different uh, take five situations? One card was a general sports prompt sheet, you know, center yourself, breathe deeply, focus on what you're doing, take your time, but said nothing about how to play golf just a general sports thing. The other golfer got a check your grip, check your foot position, check whatever is actually relevant to hitting a golf ball straight. And the same with novices, a novice with the general thing and a novice with the uh, with the specific golf swing kind of reminders and see who hits the ball straightest. My hypothesis, what, I mean, is that what we're talking about here? With So I, I don't know what Yop thinks, but because this is so, in the individual performance varies so much. I would want to actually apply the same design that we did on these studies. I would want to send them all on a couple of rounds with none of these cards, and then all on a couple of rounds with one of the cards, then give them another couple of times to go around with no cards, then another couple of times with the next card, then no couple of times with no cards, then give them a choice of which card they wanted to go around with. So actually, you know, even in that case, I think I'd still want to go back to the type of design that we used that uses the sort of on-off and lets us observe sort of performance in each mode rather than trying to directly compare two people who might not be comparable in the first place. Yeah, that's why we couldn't for this study just like pick two work sites and give one the cards and one not the card. There might be other things that cause those two work sites to be different. All right. So um, thanks for indulging my uh, my design idea. Um, so let's move in because Job introduced education and there's this idea that these cards might be useful for sort of hazard education effects. So reminding people a lot about the types of hazards associated with work might help them learn more about the hazards associated with work. So Yop, do you want to sort of share why you don't think this happens either? Yeah, well, the first part is, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, none of the the experienced operators, uh, construction workers said they learned themselves this way. So that at least takes away that the yeah people themselves think it, it is helpful, even the ones that uh, did did uh, start in the industry uh, while take fives were already around, but uh, to learn there is just another challenge here, and that well to learn you need to either need to be provided with something you didn't know yet, or at least isn't ingrained, or you need to get feedback on your performance and get any knowledge whether what you did was right or wrong. And considering that take five cards are very generic, they will rarely contain anything new for somebody. It's almost impossible. As in, after you've done it once, it's basically impossible they offer anything new. Uh, in terms of feedback, yeah, maybe once or twice when a supervisor drops by, uh, they make a comment about uh, what's written on the card. But normally people don't get any feedback on what they write on the card. Uh, and the chance that uh, they get feedback through hurting themselves is pretty small because we know how few accidents happen on most work sites. So 
and that they would have gotten that feedback without filling in the take five card as well. So in that sense, it's really hard to argue that the take five contributes to this factor, at least in the current form that it is applied on most sites. So we, we, we definitely didn't directly test take fives as an education measure. And if you were testing them, you'd probably do them with more of that sort of like controlled group analysis. You take one group of apprentices and train them using take fives, take another group, train them using a different tool and see which group ended up with the most knowledge under some sort of knowledge test in a month's time. And we didn't do that sort of study. So it seems unlikely that take fives just accidentally work as an education measure. You'd need to redesign them. You'd need to build a program of feedback around them and then give them a proper test if you thought that they might be good for that sort of thing. And we're not aware of anyone who is using them explicitly like that. It's more just of a fallback claim. Oh, they don't work for this. Oh, but they do work for novices. But to work for novices, they'd have to have these educational components wrapped around them. Then this idea that hazard or take fives can be used as a distributed hazard identification, which if I'm doing a hundred, if I'm, if my site's got a hundred cards being completed, then there's no's on some of the cards, there's hazards being identified, those hazards can be collected, they can be shared amongst the workforce. And it's a really good process of, you know, just collective hazard ID, hazard awareness, I guess, hazard, hazard management. That would be an argument. So don't think it works like that either. We're not certain that anyone does actually use them this, like this. You get some people who complain about the like loss of the data, you know, who say we fill out all these take fives, but we never properly analyze them. Um, and very occasionally you see some people claiming online, oh, we send them back to head office and we do careful analysis, but we haven't actually found like strong evidence that anyone does use them like that. We've got some reasons for thinking that they wouldn't work well for that um, because it would require people to fill them out very consistently. They'd need to use the same sort of standardized language. They'd need to be very correct about what they recorded on the cards. And as far as we can see, people write things down at different levels of abstraction. And they, it's not just that they'll like write down controls that they didn't use. They'll sometimes use controls and just don't write those controls down. So if we used them as a data source, they would be a highly, highly unreliable source of data. You know, yes, you could collect them and analyze them, but it would be misleading you about what was going on. Yeah, I, I think with this one is also a case of if you would apply it to a really specific task, a specific hazard, you could pro- potentially get that uniformness uh, and do it. But I'm yeah highly skeptical of whether organizations ever achieve that uh, in practice. So the final opportunity for Take Fives to add some value, I guess, and particularly Drew, if we think about the safety work model. I think you've sort of said you can't find a link between this as a safety work activity and the safety of work is this idea of demonstration of due diligence. So more of a demonstrated safety activity. So the take fives themselves don't help improve the safety of work, but we want to keep doing lots of them across our organization to protect the company. Uh, Or how would you think about this as as a benefit or, I don't know, a value add of take fives? Can I speak to this one first, Jop, and you jump in and correct me if I get it wrong? There are a few weird things going on that have to be explained with take fives. One of them is that workers will sometimes fill out take fives in the crib room and do them in like batches the week before, or they'll do it in the car on the way to work before they've actually seen the job site. But workers will also sometimes fill take fives out after the job 
after they've completed a job. And that needs more explanation because they've got no expectation at that point that the cards will be checked. They'll use language like yeah, we're, we're filling the card out like just in case, but nothing's gone wrong with the job. So no one's going to do an investigation of the accident and find the lack of take five. Why do people feel the need to fill out this card anyway? And from the language people use around those cards filled out afterwards or cards filled out even when we've banned the use of cards or cards filled out when they're optional and the same workers have said that they hate the cards. It's obvious that it's a form of protection for the worker. They're often not entirely sure what it's protecting them from, but it's protection against something. And the best we can tell, it's sort of a protection against criticism that you don't care about safety. And so you're conversely, filling out safety paperwork is a way of saying, oh, I'm a good employee. I'm someone who cares about safety. I'm someone who follows the rules. I'm someone who does the job properly. Even if it's filling out the card after the job's been done, at least I've still properly filled out all of the paperwork and it's there sitting done. But it doesn't make sense that workers can be using the cards to protect themselves and the cards are a good defense for the company. Those two things are totally inconsistent. <laughs> That says that the cards are being used to shift blame around between people, not that cards protect everyone uniformly. If they were a good due diligence tool, then there would be a sort of like transitive property where protecting the organization was the same thing as protecting the worker. But in fact, they get used almost the opposite. The organization protects themselves by using the cards or the absence to blame the worker. And the worker protects themselves by proving to the company, oh, it's not my fault. So it doesn't work as an overall due diligence, but it does have this weird protective function. It's just not protecting you from getting your thumb hit or from catching fire or falling down a hole. It's protecting you from criticism or blame. I have nothing to add to this. And we've talked about this a bit. I think this methodology is a social defense and, and having something to, to, to demonstrate to someone at some time. You don't, you've got no idea who that will be and when that will be and why that will be, but you've got an insurance policy of some some shape or form. Uh, and and I guess that's um, that might be the use of these uh, these cards, which is a whole lot of resource for um, for serving a purpose like that. So maybe Yopo and and Drew is yeah. You know, we've talked through the method. We've talked through these these five or six ways that these cards and process could work. And from the research, or at least the research that you've done, don't work like that. Anything else you want to add for, for this from the study itself before we talk about some practical practical takeaways? One other thing I just want to mention is that I think that this social defense idea extends beyond the individuals up to the organization, which is why often the people who are furthest removed from the work are most satisfied with take fives and most reluctant to get rid of them, that they do form a social role for the organization as well. And the best I can sort of like personally put it is these moments just before work starts, the organization has lost control using all of their other systems, but there are still things happening that they care about and they need something that tells them that they've got control, that they can influence this, that they can make workers take a moment and pay attention, that if the work doesn't match the plan, that the organization can still reach into that moment and make sure that the work gets changed or the plan gets changed. And so this tool doesn't do that, but it gives us an illusion that does it. It gives us something we can do to try to sort of like fill that gap. 
And that's a really sort of important need that organizations don't just sort of go hands off and say, okay, beyond a certain point, frontline work is out of our control. That's not even an acceptable thought, let alone an acceptable thing to say. And that's why I think, I, I don't expect that this research is going to suddenly get rid of take fives. I think it's going to cause a lot of angst, but a lot of those feelings are going to remain. And a lot of those social needs are going to remain. I think that's really, really interesting, Drew. I had never even thought about it like that, but this idea that We've trained the person, we've prepared the person, we've planned the work, we've sourced the equipment, we've provided the equipment, we've sent them to the work site, and then there's this handover point. Okay, from now it's up to you, and we've given them this last opportunity to get it right and and you know to 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 have control over over you know which buttons they end up pressing and how they end up doing the task. So I hadn't thought of it like that, and and maybe that's it. Maybe it is the very last line of control that the organisation exerts on on an individual task. Okay, so let's get into the practical takeaways. Takeaways now, Yop, and we kind of always end end the podcast like this. So, uh, I guess what I want to say is, yeah, you know, what would your first practical takeaways be? And I've dropped a few down down here now as well. Yeah, well, the 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 biggest one that we really hope people do take away is uh, stop using take fives in accident investigations. They're not a reliable source of, of information about what a person was thinking about. And as soon as they can, in some ways, lead to blame, we we see these, well, that is probably driving the, the misuse of it and the, the unreliableness of the data. And and yeah, creating this, this angst why people fill them out uh, in the first place, or this, this anxiety that, that organizations need to deal with. Yeah, I like that. So not having a cause or contributing factor of an investigation that a person did a poor take five or didn't do one, not checking these take fives in order. It's not looking for take fives as the first thing when a leader or a safety professional goes into the field, I think is really important for like um, giving some space around these processes. Well, not that they're probably going to help anyway, but give these some space around these processes to not be a, a political type tool um, or a defensive tool. Yop, I might just run through a bit of a process and then I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on it as well. So I started, my advice to listeners would be, um, I guess, be very curious if you've got take five cards or or similar in your organization, use this research to be very curious and, and wonder how they might be being used uh, or the effectiveness or otherwise of these cards in your organization. I think in terms of the research method, I think it's a great thing for everyone to do to actually talk openly with their workforce and leaders in their organization about how they're used. Uh, get to the point where you've got the psychological safety and the humble inquiry uh, capability to get the stories like what was able to be obtained in this research. So so how are these really used and thought about in your organization? I think one of the other things that, yes, Yop, keep going. Yeah, I, uh, I would like to add to that because I, I think you'll fully agree with me. But um, in, in that sense, also try to be yeah, explicit about your own idea of how they work, and be critical along that uh, along the way. In that, yeah, be curious, open-minded, but also be willing to reject your own ideas. Uh, yeah, as you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for for others in the organization too, try to try to see if there's alignment in your organization between what is you're all in your organization aiming to achieve with this process. And if you're clear on what you're aiming to achieve, then then design a process or check your process about can it actually deliver on on what you want it to do. And I guess the last thing is, I guess, Yop, in, in this research, two weeks of banning take fives and and nothing much happened. You know, maybe maybe there is a case for thinking about substituting this entire process 
uh, stopping doing these cards and kind of really reconsidering kind of what we do at the point of risk. I very much agree. And uh, look, Drew might have said that he doesn't expect it. I do have uh, a silent hope that it at least will uh, reduce the amount of take fives uh, required around Australia. And we've talked in, I guess, the paper explicitly calls out take fives as, as and labels take fives as safety clutter uh, in the context of this research. And we know that safety clutter is the accumulation and persistence of safety work that doesn't contribute to operational safety. And so there's a whole lot of negative benefit, negative consequences for safety from any form of safety clutter. So I think uh, taking it away could be the a really good thing to do for safety. So that's it for this week. We hope you found this episode thought-provoking and ultimately useful in shaping the safety of work in your own organisation. Send any comments, questions or ideas for future episodes to feedback at safetyofwork.com.